Well, hello everyone. I'm John Schmidt. I'm the senior pastor here at Centerpoint Fellowship Church. And today we're going to be talking about baptism. Inside your bulletin, you'll find an outline where I'm headed today, a number of scriptures that talk about baptism, why we do it, what it means, and why it's so important. And I discovered going through, uh, we have a number of people that we've baptized today already, a number more at this service and at our Pike Road location and at Cloverdale uh, later uh, this evening and other places we're going to be baptizing folks. And so uh, it's been an exciting day for us, but I discovered it's been four years since we just started as a church when I spent a whole message talking about what baptism is and what it means. And so today we're going to review that and we're going to remind ourselves why we do this at Centerpoint as well as at other Christian churches. What's the, what's the deal behind baptism? Because baptisms don't take very long to dip people in water and other things, but what does it mean? And why did Jesus tell us to do that? Let's have a word of prayer. We're going to talk about that. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be here today. We thank you for the opportunity to open up your word. I pray that you'll speak, you'll move me out of the way, and remind us of what baptism means and why it's so important to us. We thank you, Lord, for your great love. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, the one who told us to baptize people in his name. Amen. Glad you're here today. Um, if you need a pen to fill in the blanks in your outline, if you didn't grab a pen on the way and just raise your hand, one of our ushers will be coming up down the aisle and be glad to pass one to you. Point one answers the question of why we baptize people. It's simply this. We baptize people because Jesus told us to. Jesus told us to baptize new disciples. Before he ascended into heaven, after he rose from the dead on Easter Sunday, he was uh, around uh, his disciples, appeared to them on a number of occasions for about a month and a half. After that, he ascended to heaven. But before he ascended to heaven, he told his disciples, hey, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. When everything's ready, I'm going to come get you. Well, what are we supposed to do in the meantime? Well, in the meantime, I want you to go and make disciples just like I discipled you. I want you to teach them everything I taught you. And I also want you to mark them as disciples in a special way by baptizing them. Therefore, go and make disciples. This is a great commission, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Jesus speaking to his disciples, he said, Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I've given you. Same thing I taught you, teach them and baptize them. Yeah, but John, what does the word baptize mean? Well, baptize is an interesting word. It's just an, the English word baptize is just a transliteration, a partial transliteration of an old Greek word. The New Testament, this portion was originally written in ancient Greek. The word that we use, baptism, comes from an ancient Greek word, baptizo. And so we partially just transliterated it, which means we just kind of took the letters, English letters, to sound out what that old word sounded like. And so baptizo became baptism in English, in our English language. And all it means is to dip or to dunk. So if you've been to Dunkin' Donuts, put a coffee, a, don- a donut in a coffee, you baptized it. Okay, that's what it means. I mean, you really did. That's what it means, is to dip or to dunk. Well, why did Jesus tell his disciples when they made disciples, followers of Christ, fully devoted followers of Christ, why did he tell them to dip them in the water? What was that about? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's go on to point two. Because here, uh, and I'll give you a couple of reasons why. First of all, baptism is a powerful symbol of a changed life. It's a powerful symbol. And symbols matter. Symbols represent something. It's something small that can represent, represent something very big, something on the outside that can represent something you can't see on the inside. I have a small ring on my finger, which represents a very big commitment that I made to my wife this fall or this August. It'd be 28 years. Okay, this is real important. And it's something I wear on the outside that represents 
something much greater on the inside. This ring lets you know I've made sacred vows that I've made lifelong vows to one woman, my wife, and she's here, so I better get this right, this service, okay? But, but the whole idea is that I've made vows to her and only to her. I have a special relationship with her. Well, the same thing's true of baptism. It's a symbol on the outside that lets us see something much more important that's going on on the inside. It's a small little act that only takes a second, but it's about a commitment that's designed to last forever. So it's real important we understand this. So here are three things that, and there's more I could be said on this, but there are three things I want to say about uh, how powerful of a symbol baptism is regarding changed life. First of all, baptism reminds us that our sins have been washed, have been washed away by the blood of Jesus. Part and parcel of becoming a Christian is to say, I'm a sinner and I have run afoul of God's plans for my life. Sometimes I've done things I knew are wrong. Other times I never got around to doing what was right. I'm a sinner. And we're all in that same boat. Good news is the Bible tells us, come to Christ. He'll forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When you're baptized, this is a picture of washing. That's why we're dipped in the water. I got dirty hands. I put my hands in a sink full of water and wash them clean. Well, baptism is a picture on the outside. It pictures that our souls have been washed clean, washed of sins by the blood of Jesus when he died for us on the cross. When God, our Savior, revealed his kindness and love, this is Titus 3, <coughs> the Apostle Paul writing here, when God, our Savior, revealed his kindness and love, he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. Baptism is a picture of washing. Our souls have been washed clean. And that's why Jesus said, hey, when people come to follow me, dip them in the water. Let everybody see that this is a person professing that they're a sinner and they need their sins forgiven. They need their sins washed away by what I've done for them on the cross. David talked about how important it was to get our souls clean in the Old Testament. Psalm 51, 7, purify me from my sins and I'll be clean. Wash me. And please circle that word wash again. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. That's the idea behind baptism. Anybody who wants to be baptized has made a profession of faith in Christ. And so a person comes and says, look, I'm a sinner. I'm acknowledging that publicly. And I'll never get rid of these sins on my own. But if I come to Christ, he'll wash me clean. Now, here's a life application. This is terribly important. Because of this and because of what Jesus has done for me, I no longer need to fear God's wrath or judgment. Do you know there are people absolutely terrified of God's wrath or judgment? They're terrified of dying because they know how many sins they've committed but they haven't done anything. They haven't made any arrangements with God. They've never come to God and confessed those sins. And so they are living with tons of guilt. I meet people all the time and they are medicating themselves crazy through alcohol or prescription drugs. And just, you know, last night there were people two-fisted drinking at bars all around this area and falling into a drunken stupor so they can sleep away a few hours where they won't be troubled by all the foolish mistakes and sins they've committed in the past. There are other people, they work 95, 105, 125 hours a week. And they work harder and harder and they have tons of money. And they go, what's driving them? It's like somebody's behind them with a whip. Well, they do have something behind them, a terribly guilty conscience. And they can't get rid of any of it. They don't know Christ. They don't know what it's like to be forgiven. And so they work and they work and they never slow down. Because if I ever slow down, I'm going to have to deal with it. That's not the Christian faith. The Christian faith goes right at it and says, look, I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. I can't work this out on my own. I come to Christ. He washes me clean and I'll be whiter than snow. My sins can be forgiven because Jesus paid the penalty on my behalf. And this is the good news we proclaim to the world. In fact, Isaiah in Isaiah 
We brought up this verse last week. I brought it back again this week because if you haven't marked this in your Bible, you need to. Isaiah said, I'm overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God, for he has dressed me with the clothing of salvation and draped me in a robe of righteousness. All the people we baptize here, they are wearing white robes. We provide for them, and it's to just remind us of this fact. You come to Christ, your sins are washed away. You are covered over with robes of righteousness. And the day we stand before God at the judgment, uh, the judgment seat of Christ, we don't have to worry about a thing because our sins have been washed away by Jesus. If that's good news to you this morning, would you say amen? amen. That's why we sing praises to Jesus. He's taken all our sins away. He died so we could live. I'm the sinner. He took the sin and gave me his righteousness. <laughs> That's a great deal. I mean, I cannot tell you. It just happened a couple of weeks ago again. I invited somebody to come to church and they said, no, nah, preacher, I can't come. I mean, if I walk in there, God's going to strike me dead with lightning. I said, I think we've checked the circuit boards here. It's pretty electrically safe here. It's okay. Because they don't understand the gospel. They think God's out trying to strike them dead. God's the one who sent his son into the world to die so we could live. They got it all backwards. But not the people getting baptized today. They're getting baptized because they've asked Jesus in their heart and they're not afraid about meeting Jesus. They can't wait to meet Jesus. That's good news. So baptism reminds us that our sins have been washed away by the blood of Jesus. Baptism is also a picture of death and resurrection. This wedding ring is a picture on the outside of love and commitment on the inside. Same thing's true of baptism. It's a picture of death and resurrection. Colossians 2. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. In baptism, we are reminding ourselves that we follow Christ. The one who died on the cross for our sins was placed in the tomb and rose again on the third day. On Easter Sunday. I follow him now. So now I've died to my old way of living and I live for Jesus. The old John Schmidt, selfish, stubborn, wicked, rebellious person. I said, I don't want to live that way anymore, Lord. I'm giving up control of my life. I was running it in the ground. Now I live for you. That's what it means to be baptized. I've asked Jesus in my heart. I'm living for him. I mean, an eight-year-old can make that decision. Now, granted, they're not committed. They haven't committed grand theft auto at age eight or other things, but they know what it's like to fight and be stubborn and selfish and things. And I've talked to them, and they're easily come across and say, "Yeah, I don't want to live that way. I want to live for Jesus. I don't want to be stubborn and rebellious." That's also true for somebody eighty-eight years old, saying, "I'm tired of running my own stubborn, sinful life. I need to come to Christ and have a new life. I want to die to my old way of living." And that brings us to a life application because if we do this, that means that sin is no longer our master. Jesus is. I died to my old life and my old sin and my natural tendency to sin. Now I want to live for Christ. Sin is no longer our master. Jesus is. Would you say that with me, please? Sin is no longer our master. Jesus is. One more time. Sin is no longer our master. Jesus is. And when people get baptized, that's what they say. Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. He's my king. He saved me from my sins. I'm following him. I'm going his way now. That's what Paul's talking about in Romans chapter 6. Well, then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, 
Now, we, we also may live new lives. Please circle new lives. Since we've been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We're no longer slaves to sin. Before I come to Christ, I'm a slave to sin. I sin because I've always sinned. When I come to Christ, he can set me free. Doesn't mean I'm not still tempted to sin, but now I, now I know I'm going the wrong way. Now I have a choice. I mean, for a person who doesn't know Christ, I mean, sin or sin. Fish swim, birds fly, sin or sin. But you come to Christ, he sets you free from that yoke and that tyranny. And now I have a new master. And not only that, but the same power that conquered the grave lives in me. And so when I die to my old self, I'm counting on the Holy Spirit, God's Holy Spirit to live in me, to change me and make me into the man God always wanted me to be. He'll do that for you too. And when you get baptized, that's what we're saying. Sin's not my master anymore. Jesus is. And there's new life in the name of Christ. And that's why I want to be baptized. So baptism reminds us that our sins have been washed away. Baptism gives us a picture of death and resurrection, of new life. And point C, baptism demonstrates a new relationship with God that's made possible through his grace. And then we've got a brand new relationship. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's made us friends of God. And back to the wedding ring, it's the same thing that happens at a wedding ceremony. You have the bride and the groom come in and they face each other and they make vows in front of family and friends and it shows that there's a special relationship here. The same thing happens in baptism. When a person enters the baptism pool, it shows that now I have a special relationship with God. In a marriage, I make vows for the rest of my life. In baptism, I make vows for eternity forever. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. God saved you by his grace when you believed. You can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. This isn't, we don't ask, we don't bring people into the baptism pool and then pin a medal on their chest. We bring them into the baptism pool and put them under the water and show that their sins have been washed away. So it's not a a braggadocious thing. It's not anything that says we're great. It's saying, look, I'm a filthy, rotten sinner. I needed my soul washed. Jesus did that. So now I'm not afraid of standing in front of him on judgment day. I'm going to, I've surrendered control of my life. I'm going to live for him. Now I'm a friend of God. I'm not an enemy of his. I'm not going to compete with him for control of my life. I've got a brand new relationship with him. And all that's happening here when somebody gets baptized. You go, wow, John, this is fascinating. Wait, there's more. Okay, there is. It does get better. Baptism is a powerful symbol on the outside of all this going on on the inside, but it also represents even more. Baptism is a commitment. It's a commitment. Powerful symbol. Jesus commanded us to do it, but it's also a commitment. Commitment by three parties. First of all, it's a commitment by me. I'm in the water getting baptized. I'm making a commitment. Paul said in Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it's by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. And if you notice the emphasis on your that I put there, it's because there's a saying we say here a lot. I mentioned it last week. I'll bring it up again. God doesn't have grandchildren. He only has children. You come to Christ, you become a child of God, not a grandchild. What do I mean by that? Well, my mom and dad were baptized. Well, good for mom and dad. What about you? 
My grandfather was an evangelist. Good. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins? Have you trusted him for your salvation? Have you surrendered control of your life to him? Have you died to your sinful ways and said, I'm going to live for him? That's what he's interested in. It's a commitment by me. And so every single person that we baptize, they have to answer two questions. We ask them two questions publicly. We say, what is your name? Not your parents' name, not your grandparents' name. What's your name? And secondly, what is your confession of faith? And it could be something simple like, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I believe he died for me. And this is terribly important. That we don't trust that, well, I come from a good family, so I'm sure when I get up to that big gateway in the sky one day, that'll count for something. No, no cliches here. No little trick phrases. I come to Christ because I'm a sinner and I've surrendered my life to him. And I love him and I want to live for him. I'm covered over with a robe of righteousness, washed clean. It's my decision. That's what's involved in baptism. So it's a commitment by me. If you flip your outline over, here's a second party that's involved in the commitment. Baptism is a commitment by God. At a wedding, you have a commitment between a couple of parties as well. You have the bride come in from one side or the groom come in from one side, the bride from another side. It shows they had two journeys in life and now they're meeting at this one place and they make commitments to each other publicly in front of everyone because we want them to know, hey, do you understand? This is a special relationship. Special relationships require covenants, require commitments. So a person being baptized says, look, I've died to myself and I live for Jesus. Well, what's the commitment by God? Well, the writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 10, here's what God committed to. God said, this is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I'll put my laws in their hearts. I'll write them on their minds. And then he says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. And by his death, Jesus opened up a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. Our bodies have been washed with pure water, so let's hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. You can underline his promise, his covenant. God went first. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for my sins. My part is to surrender to him. His part was to give up everything for me. He went first. Marriage is a commitment between a man and a woman. For a lifetime. Baptism is a commitment between me and the Lord forever. And God went first. He said, here's the deal I'll make with you. I'll die so you can live. I'll pay a penalty so you can go free. I'll take your sins. You take my righteousness. You give me your rotten life. I'll give you eternal life. And what's wrong with that deal? And so when people get baptized, this is what we're saying. Commitment by me, commitment by God, third party, baptism is a commitment by our church. By our church. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, the pastors, the teachers, their responsibilities to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we'll be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. And if you'd circle the word mature. If I'm going to be involved 
in baptism, I have to understand that, hey, this is a commitment not only by me and a commitment by God, but a commitment by the church to help me mature. Once I come to Christ, well, I need to grow in Christ. I mean, we make a similar commitment when couples get married at our church. We do premarital counseling for them and we remind them, hey, as you make vows to each other after the man makes the vows and the woman makes the vows, after they've exchanged rings and promises and joined hands, I place my hand upon their joined hands and I pronounce them husband and wife. And you go, well, why are you putting your hand in the middle to represent the church is with you on this? And we tell them, hey, when marriage gets hard, you call. And I get calls five years, seven years later, other things, because marriage can be hard at times. Can I get an amen on that? Okay, yeah, sorry, baby, I didn't mean to raise my hand on that. Okay, anyway, <laughs> marriage can be tough. Okay, well, where are you going to get help? Well, the church, we pronounce the vows, we'll help you. Same thing's true with baptism. You're not getting baptized by yourself. We baptize people, we have somebody from our church baptizing them. You get in the water by yourself, that's called going swimming. That's all that is. You can't baptize yourself, somebody's got to baptize you. Why? Because now you're part of a church where we can help you grow. And listen, if you stick around this church for the next 10 years, I don't care what you profess on a baptism Sunday, but if, but if you never learn to read the Bible any better than you do today, you don't know how to pray, you don't know how to serve, you're just, you cuss just as much 10 years from now, you never find any uh, desire to worship God or serve others or love others or don't learn anything, then we have failed you completely. We failed you completely. Church isn't about saying some magic phrase so you won't go to hell and then marking time until you die. Church is about dying to ourselves and living for Christ and we all do this together and we help each other. And our church is making a commitment to those of you being baptized today. We'll help you. That's why we do vacation Bible school for the kids. It's why we have mission trips to help us gain a vision for the world. It's why we have places for people to serve so you can develop your spiritual muscles. It's why we have small groups. It's why we have Bible reading plans. It's why we do Sunday morning worship services. All these things to help us grow. So baptism is not only a symbol that shows us on the outside of the commitments made on the inside, it's a commitment by me, by God, and by our church. Fourthly, there's even more. Baptism is a public declaration of our faith in Christ. It's a public declaration. That's why we're doing this at the front of the room as part of a worship service today. And every time we do baptisms, we always want to do it as publicly as possible. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Psalm 107, this is verse 1 and 2, it's what it says. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Has the Lord redeemed you? Well, then speak out and tell others he's redeemed you from your enemies. I mean, baptism is a platform for us to stand up and say loud and proud that I love Jesus. And that's exactly what we want to do here today. Jesus said, if anyone is ashamed of me and my message, well, then the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. Look, I realize there are countries around the world where people have to be baptized in secret, in a cave, at night, or other things, because if they were baptized publicly, they'd be persecuted, probably thrown in jail, maybe even killed. I understand that. We live in a place with religious freedom. And we're blessed to be able to live in such a place. And we need to be baptized and put on that white robe and invite our family and friends. And that's why we want people to schedule baptism so you can invite your grandma and grandpa, your cousins, your neighbors. Last year, I baptized a guy. He invited all of his friends. And, and they had a big barbecue at his house afterward. And one of them said later, he goes, can you celebrate a baptism with barbecue? Sure, just put some extra sauce in there. Yeah, it was great. 
Of course you can. You should. We should make a big deal out of this. We should tell everyone, I follow Jesus now. I've died to my old way of life. I live for him. I'm not afraid of dying because the one who died and conquered death, I follow him. My soul is clean. I'm covered over in the robes of righteousness. I made a commitment, but he went first. He made the commitment to me first. And I got a church standing with me. You bet I'll say I'm following Jesus. Now, again, all this is happening here in just a few minutes when we baptize people. This is what we want you to know is going on. One more point. And I just want to go a little bit further on that point. When I talked about being in our church, I wanted to expand this out in one whole point here. Baptism is a church family celebration. I mentioned a little bit ago, you can't baptize yourself. I want to unpack that a little more. In the Bible, when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the disciples on Pentecost Sunday, and God did an amazing thing and spoke through Peter, and Peter delivered a sermon for the ages. 3,000 people came to Christ and were baptized then. Here's what happened. Acts chapter 2. Those who believed what Peter said when he told them they needed to trust Christ and repent of their sins. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized, added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions. They shared their money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple every day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. They shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Oh, that is our desire for what we want church to be for us. It's why we want you, if you're a part of this church, to be a part of a small group where you can get to know people here, where you can share meals together with joy and gladness, where you can come to worship services and praise God every, every week. And we're trying to have Sunday morning services, Sunday night services at Cloverdale. We'll soon probably be starting up a Saturday night service. We hope to do that so you can invite friends. You can come and worship God. If you wanted to, you can worship Saturday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night. If you wanted to, we'd love it. We want you to be in a place where your prayers are lifted up with glad and sincere hearts with others and you can see God do a, answer your prayers in an amazing way and experience life-changing power in his name. We want all that. And I wanted to unpack all this because we live in a terribly self-centered, individualistic culture where even in baptism, people say, well, I want to be baptized, but it's personal and I want it to be private. My faith is personal and private. Well, nothing in the scripture says that our faith is meant to be private. It's supposed to be deeply personal. I hope I've communicated that this morning, but it was never intended to be private. Never. We're supposed to live out our Christian lives with each other so we can help each other. I mean, that's what it means to be part of a family. I grew up in a family with one brother and four sisters. We did not always get along. Can anybody imagine that? Well, the same thing's true when you're baptized into a church family. I want everybody to understand here that means there's people all over the page. Not all my, my brother and my sisters, we weren't all the same age. It's the same way when you get in a church family. Some of us have been Christians for a long time. Some of us are brand new. Some of us struggled with one area. Some of us with another. And so occasionally people go, well, I don't want to get baptized because the church is full of hypocrites. Yeah, well, if you go find a perfect church, don't join it because you'll be the one that messes that one up. Okay? It's true. There is no such thing as a perfect church. Church is made of people who've repented of their sins. And so we help each other. 
The older women help the younger women. Older men help the younger men. We grow each other up. I mean, that's the life application for you in your outline here. We need each other. Not only do we want to help mature each other, we need each other for relationships. We do. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, wrote this. He said, look, two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. One falls down, a friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they'll keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Well, what if you have a cord of hundreds of strands? That's a cable. We can help each other a lot. So why wouldn't I want to be together with other people who are sinners just like me and have acknowledged their sin, acknowledged that God needs to save them, who said, I want to die to my old way of life and I want to live for Jesus. Why wouldn't I want to seek counsel from people who've been doing that for a while? Why wouldn't I want to serve alongside them and help reach other people who need to hear this good news? Well, that's the idea of church. That's the idea of raising our kids in a family. But it's a family and we need to be patient with each other and encourage each other. That's why the rest of the New Testament says, hey, forgive each other. Be patient with each other. Look out for each other. Don't hold grudges. Those were all written to Christians. All these passages. We go, well, back in the Bible times, they didn't have all these problems. Yes, they did. Just like we do. And that's why we're going to work it out. So if you're baptized, you're baptized into a church family and it's a celebration because now we're a part of this. So as we baptize people in just a minute, that's what we're going to do. We're going to allow them to stand up publicly and profess their faith. To wear a white robe to demonstrate they're covered over with the righteousness of Christ. Their sins have been washed away by the blood of Jesus. They've died to their old way of life. Now they live for the Lord. When their mortal bodies are dead, they're confident they'll be raised to eternal life and a new body in heaven. Commitment made by them, by God, and they're surrounded by us. And we are not ashamed. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I just pray that today you would fill us with deep conviction that you are indeed our Lord and Savior. And Lord, we would never be ashamed of professing our faith in you. I thank you for the people who will be baptized today, for all the many people who have been baptized already this morning, baptized at other locations later today. Lord, I pray that um, in the future of this church, many hundreds, maybe thousands of people will be baptized. And Lord, we can all grow together as followers of Christ, as part of your family. Oh God, we thank you that Jesus Christ came into the world to forgive us of our sins. There are many. We thank you, Lord, that we don't have to figure this all out on our own, that you've given us your Holy Spirit, and the same power that conquered the grave lives in us. In just a moment of silence right now, if there's something you need to surrender to the Lord, something you've been fighting him on, give it up today and say, God, I'm not fighting you anymore. I surrender my life to you. Lord, I thank you that uh, we can come to you and give our hearts to you as children, as people in our 70s. It makes no difference to you. You just want us to come. I pray that we'll be a good church home for everybody who does come here, Lord. We'll provide them with wisdom and encouragement and strength. We'll help people mature and grow strong in their faith. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.